0: We're gonna cover some hunting, some fishing today. We're gonna even cover some winter camping. So we got a lot to cover, so let's get to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is uh Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Do we have Chris? Yay, Terry, this Chris. Hey, there you are. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you could hear me when we were we were um I was opening the show, this cool weather, unlike the spring where cool weather can have negative effects sometimes on fish behavior, especially, and all the animals even,
1: in, in the
0: fall, this cooler weather, it just fires things up, doesn't it, Chris? It,
1: it does, you know, and like most people are ready for it. It's been a great summer, um, but once things cool down, it fires those fish up, especially those brown trout in the fall, and it's such a fantastic time to fish. Um, It's going to be productive for another couple months here and just such a great time to be outside. Well, it
0: really is, and it changes. I want to kind of talk to you about what's going on in some of the local waters, and then let's kind of get into some of how the techniques might change as we approach this fall fishing. But first, what are you seeing out there? I know you spend a lot of time on the South Platte. Why don't you start there?
1: Yeah, you know, we've been spending quite a few days down at Deckers and up in Cheeseman, and um, they've they both been fishing a little tougher. Uh, the fishing's good, don't get me wrong, but not as good as it was this summer when they had high flows. And that traditionally happens on the South Platte when they start lowering the flows in the fall. Now what happens, Terry, is usually as we get into early October and those flows get a little bit more consistency, those fish are going to respond in such a good way. Um you know, on the South Platte, we're going to start seeing our browns get up on reds over the next few weeks. Um, it's still a little early right now. But the fishing-wise, you know, a lot of times we've been going a little bit smaller nowadays. We're still getting really good trichos. Um, when the flows did drop down, the bug life just responded on the South Platte. So the tricos in the morning, there's really good mid hatches. there's PMDs in the afternoon. And what all that means is the fishing both subsurface with nymphs and dry flies on the top right now are actually really effective. Um, and it's a fun way to fish. And, and we should see the same kind of principles on the south Platte for the next month or so, you know. And as things cool off, go a little smaller with your fly choice down to size 20s and 22s. And, um, you know, and start targeting some of those more, you know, deeper transitions where the river goes from a little shallower riffle into a deeper slot.
0: You know, it's kind of amazing. You know, you talk about uh, in the spring, when you get a warmer day, it kind of triggers things and you get more activity. This time of the year, those colder, rainy days like we got in the middle of the week actually trigger more
1: hatches, don't they, this time of the year? They do. You know, we get um, a blueing olive hatch, which is a famous hatch. We get those in the fall. And the most prolific hatches you're going to see are the days when it's, you know, a little overcast. It's kind of raining a little bit. It's a really low light day. Um, and it's traditionally, just like you said, Terry, in the fall time, sometimes the worse the weather gets, the better the fishing is. And so it's um, it's such a great change compared to what we see in the early summer and the early spring.
0: Now, what about some of the other waters? What are you hearing or seeing out there?
1: Yeah, you bet. So the Colorado River is going to be a fantastic option this time of year. Um, you know, in the fall, when I said the the brown trout fishing can be just tremendous, and so those rivers that have a lot of browns, like the Colorado, like the Arkansas River, or the Roaring Fork River out near Glenwood, and um, even the lower Colorado, all those are tremendous tremendously good fall fisheries. Um, and so right now on the Colorado, you know, we've been hitting a lot of the upper Colorado. Um, the fish are starting to come to life. You know, they're moving around a little bit. They're uh, trying to get close to staging up for their spawn on the Colorado, which we'll see again in probably about a few weeks out there as well. Um, and you know, that time of year, the Colorado, the roaring Fork, the Arkansas, another great tactic to throw all, all fall is the streamer rig. <coughs> Throwing streamers and try to get that aggression by for some of these browns
0: no you're absolutely right and i want to get more into just total tactics in just a minute because uh a guy like me who does great with a hopper dropper and then when you start talking about size 22 pmds i want to slap you (laughs) because i can't even see him to tie him on we'll talk more about that in a minute what about any of the other rivers like close to home clear creek or any of that much happening
1: yeah you bet so clear creeks would be a good option right now the flows are nice and low easy to access Um, and that river they've done so much work and if anglers out there if you haven't fished clear creek go give it a shot Um, from down in golden all the way up to idaho springs up to georgetown that river is such a great trout fishery both little browns and little rainbows and um, for you fly anglers out there clear creek's a great dry fly river even this time of year Um, and so clear creek's a really good option and um, the South Platte above Chaffield up in Waterton Canyon could be a good fall option as well.
0: Well, and yeah, and you're talking close to home for that guy that wants to get away for maybe just a couple hours after work. The days aren't as long, or maybe you just have a little bit of time on the weekend or something. They make for good options. And the other thing that's really nice this time of the year is that you got a lot of other activities, you know, the Broncos are playing, the college football, although in, in this state, college football probably doesn't draw a lot. But it's um, a different conversation. You sport, yeah, yeah, you've got your youth sports, and kids are back in school, and there's a lot of conflicting things. And then a lot of avid anglers are avid hunters. So they're in the field. We've got archery and muzzle loader. We've got rifle season coming. We had teal season. We've got waterfall season starting next week just got a lot of hunting going on, a lot of scouting. So a lot of the guys put their rods away and take out their
1: firearm or they're out scouting. A lot of times this time of the year, the rivers are hardly crowded at all. Is that what you see? That is, you know. And we've seen that after Labor Day weekend, a little decrease in the pressure. And like you said, football's kicking off on Saturdays and Sundays. And there's a lot more going on. Um, You know, a little bit cooler. We're not seeing as much people heading up to the mountains on the weekends. Still a lot, but not as much as we saw all summer. And and you could find those days where you just have the solitude on the river, which we didn't see all summer. Um, this is the time of year for us. so I think you were dead on right, Terry, with that. And um, no matter what river that is, you can go have some fun right now. And, and right now, great tactics Just keep covering water, too. And so even those days you do see a few more people, keep covering water. You'll go find some river that you can work and not see too many other people around.
0: Let's talk about how your approach changes this time of the year. You know, we came through the spring and we talked. We had summer. We had a warm summer. Waters got a little warm in some places. Some places the flows were okay. But the approach was different. The fish were in their summer patterns. Now the fish kind of understand that they've got to fatten up a little bit. The cold weather's coming. Also, like you mentioned, the browns and brook trout will be spawning. And rainbows and cutthroats will be in there chasing the eggs of the browns as they start Uh, start their spawn. So it really fires these fish up. That being said, the water is still probably warm enough where they're pretty active, but it's going to cool down where you're going to go to, as you were saying earlier, smaller flies. And then in some cases, maybe big uh, attractive type presentations or ones that trigger a strike rather than a feed. So how do you say you're going one of these places, let's say the Colorado, which has a lot of browns, how do you decide whether you should go to some small flies, stick with maybe the hopper droppers that have been
1: working, or pull out a streamer? What, what tells you what to do? Oh, Terry, that's such an excellent question. Um, the best way to approach a river in that sort of situation is when you get to the river, it's going to paint you a picture. You just have to pay attention to the details. And what I mean by that is you're going to get to the river, and you get there early in the morning, look at the surface activity. Look to see if you have any fish rising. Um, if you have fish rising, chances are you're gonna see some bugs up in the air. And um, and if you don't see them rising, probably that hatch hasn't got going yet. And so when I get to the river, and if, especially if it's a cold start this time of year, you know, we get in those nice cold nights nowadays, I'm gonna start out probably with my small flies early in the morning. And until I start seeing a few more bugs hatching, getting off the surface of water, flying in the air, see a few more fish eating on the surface. That's when I'll start throwing dry flies. Um, and so, you know, standard this time of year, when like I said, when you get to the river in the morning, think small. You know, even subsurface nymph rigs with midges, little mayfly nymphs, little small pheasant tails, zebra midges, Manhattan midges, black beauties, little small midge patterns are going to be really effective in the morning. And then as things heat up during the day, that. Like you said, it gets that water to warm up just a little bit again, and those bugs become active. And so then you'll see the different hatches as you get more to like 10, 11, 12 in the morning, uh, or ten, eleven in the morning, 12 noon. Um, and then early afternoon, that's when those PMDs are going to start hatching. And so a lot of times, you know, when I'm throwing the small flies, it's usually earlier in the morning or later in the afternoon when I'm not seeing a lot of big flies flying in the air. Now, in terms of streamers, Terry, Oh, man, streamers are so much fun to throw. A lot. Sometimes I'll throw those early in the morning when the light is really low. You know, streamers, like we're talking on the low-light days, the fishing's really good. The best days that we have thrown streamers or, you know, bigger aggressive patterns is when the light is really low, the overcast weather, the, you know, clouds pushing in. Those are usually really good times to throw a streamer. So some of those mornings, if you get to the river, and you're like, I just don't want to throw those small flies tie a streamer on and throw that. And the worst that's going to happen is the fish say no. And then we can go back to throw the small flies. Um, but I really like targeting those streamers when I can. And this is the time of year when the summer's not the best. The fall is what we live for, especially throwing those streamers.
0: You know, I think a lot of fly anglers, they, they start learning about hatches. And they they love to let the river make the presentation try to get a good drift, and it it also shows them where their feeding lanes may be located. And sometimes I think they get a little hesitant with streamers because streamers are different. You know, you can drift a streamer, but a lot of times you're trying to give it action because you're imitating maybe a leech or a a minnow or something that's bigger and moving, even a crawfish, and those fish are aggressively looking for that big meal right now. They're not feeding by sight based on... The, it, it relates to what they're eating on a regular basis. It's an opportunity. And I think, I think fly anglers sometimes don't understand that the visual visualization it takes and the life you have to give to a streamer.
1: You know, it is, and you want to keep that streamer moving. Like you said, you're trying to trigger that aggression strike. You're trying to get that predator instinct out of the fish. And you know, a lot of times you're throwing streamers, you might not go catch a hundred fish, right? But you're going for those quality fish. And what's so cool about throwing streamers, in fly fishing, a lot of times our bite is visual. You know, in fly fishing, we don't feel them bite our flies all that often. Um, But when you're throwing streamers, you feel every tug, you feel every bite you get. It is some of the best feel we have in fly fishing in terms of feeling the fish strike our fly.
0: Now, the last question I have for you, and I'll have to get some information from you and let you go, is how late into the year, we had a pretty good hopper dropper or big fly, dry fly dropper season this year because we had a lot of hoppers late into the year. How late can you still effectively throw those and the fish will hit them just
1: based on memory? You, you, You can probably throw those for the rest of this month. You know, if that weather stays warm, I mean, I'm still seeing quite a few hoppers when I'm walking alongside the river right now. And this is, you know, pretty deep in the season. And so those are still going to be an option as long as the weather stays warm. Once we start getting those, you know, freezing temperatures, that will start slowing that big bug bite down. Um, but I think we got another probably two or three weeks where anglers can go have success throwing bigger dry flies. And it's not just the big hoppers; the hoppers are definitely out, but we're still seeing some of our golden stone flies, some of our crane flies on the south plat, and those are big insects on the river. So some of those fish they're still accustomed, they're still used to seeing those big flies, um, and they're going to be a little bit more willing to come up and eat them and until things start cooling off. And when things start really cooling off, and we get those overnight freezing temperatures, and you know the frost in the morning that's probably going to slow down the big bite, but I think we still have another two, three weeks left to fool some fish on big flies on the surface.
0: Well, good. Cause with my eyesight, I don't, I don't do well with twenty twos <laughs> and twenty fours. So I'll have to have you with to tell me where my fly is. And if it's drifting, right? Hey, why don't you oh, tell with- people where the, where they can find you, Chris,
1: and what you have to offer. You bet guys. You can call us up here at the blue quill angler. We're right up the hill right here in Evergreen. We've been here for 30 years. Um, and, guys, we're here to help. If you're going to go fish a river and you don't know, like, the hatches are pretty complicated until you really start learning them. Give us a call. We're happy to tell you what you're going to see on the river, what kind of flies you're going to have success with. We're here to help you out. We love helping. So please call us anytime at 303-674-4700. You can find us online at www.bluequillangler.com. And, of course, all the social media and um Terry, thank you so much for having us on. And, um, and like I said, anything we could do to help you guys get into fish, please call us. Please let us help.
0: All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. You have a good rest of the weekend.
1: Hey, You too. Thank you, Terry.
0: That's uh, Chris from uh, Blue Coil Angler. Always a great resource. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back. We're going to talk about a special day today is in Colorado and the country right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has stores up and down the front range. If you're looking for your outdoor gear, just stop by any one of them. You will be so pleased. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Shannon Schaller. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, Carrie. How are you today? I am doing great. It's beautiful out. It's going to be a great day to be outdoors. It's it's this time of the year when it's a little cooler, at least in the mornings and evenings, and it's just uh one of my favorite times of the year. You know, speaking of being out, out spending a lot of time outdoors, Shannon, we saw a huge, huge number of people turn to the outdoors over the last couple of years when uh we were trying to isolate and be outdoors and not be indoors because of COVID and uh, we don't know where all that's going to go. It's tapered off a little, but there's still a great demand for outdoor recreation, especially in places like Colorado, and I think a lot of these people, it opened their eyes to the importance of having resources to recreate on, and we're kind of celebrating that today, aren't we?
2: We are, and we are celebrating that this is, we're lucky to live in Colorado, and we have a lot of public land, and we've seen a significant increase in the number of people outdoors with people moving to Colorado because of all of the national parks we have and state parks and open lands. And people have discovered more of Colorado, which is great, but that also means that we need to be responsible. And we've seen things like trash increase and trail conflicts. And so today is a day to remind us all that we need to be good stewards on our public lands. And today is National Public Lands Day, which is the single largest volunteer event on public lands. And so I'm here to encourage people to find one of your local open space departments and find out about a way you can volunteer today or this weekend, or whether you're out hiking or hunting or riding a bike or fishing, we can do our extra part today of being good stewards of the land because like you said, we've all seen this increase in growth of people in the outdoors, but with that comes with challenges to make sure that we ensure that those natural places stay great into the future. And so stewardship is the main message this weekend.
0: You know, um, I'm, uh, an organization called ASA American Sports Anglers did a survey, and this goes back 10 or 15 years, so I'm sure it's changed some, but they asked adults over 40, what their biggest memory of growing up was with their parents and 52% picked an outdoor activity, fishing, hunting, camping, hiking. The next was going to an athletic event. And that was only 12%. So I, am still a firm believer that when you get outside and whether you're, by the way, it's national hunting and fishing day too. And when you, when you get outside, and you do some of these activities, even if it's just a day hike or a camping trip, or you go on a hunt or a fishing trip, you create memories and bonding that no other activity does. And you you brought it up in the beginning, we're so blessed. I lived in two states in my life as far as my home. Their first was Minnesota and the second, I've been in Colorado for most of my life now. And those two states offer such opportunity for outdoors. But we do need to be good stewards, but we should celebrate the amount of public lands we have in Colorado is just is is so wonderful, isn't it?
2: It is. I mean, and, and that's why I think people like you and people like me have moved to Colorado at some point in our lives. We have a lot of public lands. And getting outdoors and either spending time with family and friends or just being by yourself outdoors in nature is something that has health benefits for all of us. Like you said, it creates long-lasting memories. It reduces stress. You usually learn something. And so just like you and I there are, and listeners out there, we all love our natural places. And, and it they, the natural lands give us something, and it's our job to make sure that we give back. We they are all of our public lands, but that means it's a responsibility for all of us that while we're outdoors, we're being good stewards and actually, you know, leaving it better than we found it, right? Following the leave no trace principles when we show up in a parking lot, if there's trash on the ground, picking it up, if if you have the chance to, you know, be a courteous trail user, keeping your dog on a leash, picking up after your dog, all of those things are things that will help someone else have a good experience and help you. And thank you for for mentioning that it's uh, also, we're celebrating hunting and fishing day today too. So two great outdoor activities as well.
0: Yeah. And you know, you you kind of touched on outdoor etiquette. A lot of people are new to outdoor activities and they're not necessarily mean, but they're They're kind of focused on what they're doing, and maybe they haven't researched it enough to even know what they should do or even what they're getting into. So the the know before you go mantra has really been important this year where we've tried to get people to understand where they're headed, what it takes, how to interact when you get there, and how to act. In fact, you're working with a group in northern Colorado called Noco Places. Tell me about that.
2: Yes, I think your no before you go is something that uh, I wanted to highlight on. And NOCO Places is a collaborative group of the, the five northern Colorado counties plus the National Park staff and Forest Service staff and then Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And we came together as a group to talk about these issues that we are talking about on the radio today about increasing recreation and making sure that we have sustainable use and that we can benefit everybody into the future by implementing land management practices that have these long-term conservation needs of Colorado. So it's a really unique group, also funded by Colorado Parks and Wildlife's Partnerships Group to say, hey, we all are sharing in these challenges from extra people out there, and how can we collaborate as Boulder County and Larimer County and Gilpin and Clear Creek and Jefferson County, along with CPW, to say, let's let's team up and say, what are the issues out there? And where can we pool resources? And how do we collaboratively work together to teach people about know before you go? And and one of the great principles, uh, well, that's a great message, but what I like about it is we also wanna, we wanna be good stewards of the land, but we want people to have a great experience out there. And the know before you go messaging keeps the natural resources sustainable, but also, helps ensure that you have a better experience out there as people get out there if they're unprepared they may leave it leave the natural place in a state that they didn't intend to but it's worse or maybe they didn't have as good a time because they pulled up and the parking lot was completely overflowing and they didn't know where to park and it was the first time they were going to take their kid out on a hike and so being prepared is a good part of it you know so that you're safe but also so that you have a good experience. And I'm just, I'm really excited about what we're doing with NOCO Places. And today NOCO Places has launched a, a video with some messaging about what can I do just individually, but how can I volunteer and be a good steward of the land? And, you know, I, I'm glad that we have groups coming together to promote these messages because collectively that's how we're going to make sure that they, these places stay wild into the future.
0: We're out of time, but where could people view the video?
2: They can view it on Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, social media pages, or we do have a website for NOCO places, which is www.nocoplaces.com. And uh, sorry, nocoplaces2050.com. And you can get more messages there, but also CPW is promoting those messages as well.
0: Again, All right. We are out of time, but I think the message you and I want to put out there is please enjoy and celebrate the great outdoor opportunities we have both in Colorado and across the United States. But be responsible and know before you go. Thank you, Shannon.
2: Thank you, Terry. Have a great weekend.
0: You bet, Shannon Cheller. Okay. This is a great message. We want to remind you we've got beautiful weather. Get out there and let's perpetuate these opportunities for our kids and our grandkids. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back, we're going to take you to a state park across the state and talk about the activities that are going on there and some you may want to partake in. Here on Terry Wicks Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear Jack says locations up and down the Front Range and even in Cheyenne. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Ridgeway State Park is Derek McLaughlin. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful here. How is it way over at Ridgeway?
3: What's it like there? I'll tell you what, this morning it was pretty crisp, but we're starting to definitely get that fall weather. Um, right now it's about 53 degrees out, but when I came in, it was in the 30s.
0: Is it sunny and nice, though?
3: Yeah, it's sunny. The last few days, uh, three three days straight, we got quite a bit of rain, which is awesome, much needed. But it's definitely sunny, and it's going to start raising a temp for the day. Of
0: course, being sunny doesn't matter over there. You don't have anything to look at or any view anyway,
3: right? Yeah, no, it's absolutely terrible to be here, to be honest. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's absolutely beautiful. We got Mount Snuffles, the Cimarron's, and the San Juan Mountains. You can't go wrong.
0: Why don't you tell people who are new where Ridgeway is located?
3: Yeah, so Ridgeway State Park is located uh, near the southwest portion of Colorado. Um, If you guys are familiar with Montrose, uh, we're going to be 17 miles south of that, about a 20-minute drive, and it's uh, on the way to Uray, and it's on the way to Telluride. Yeah, and
0: it's called the, the Swiss Alps of the Rockies. It is one of the most beautiful parts in the state, and you have a lot of great trails both on the park and connecting to you, don't you?
3: Yeah, we do. We have quite a few miles of trails on the park. And then on the other side of the highway of 550, we have the Rat Trails, which is like many miles of bicycling and horseback riding uh, trails as well.
0: Yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful area. And the lake at Ridgeway. Uh, Have you closed your boat ramp yet for the year? Is it still open?
3: No, so our boat ramp will close to boating. The last day that you can launch is going to be October 31st, but come November 1st, it'll be closed to motorized boating. So it'll only be open to hand-launched, um, like canoes and kayaks, but no, no trolling motors and no gas-powered motors.
0: And you have a tremendous, some tremendous fishing opportunities right at the park. You not only have the lake, but you have the river there, too, which both can be phenomenal. And the lake itself is known for giant brown trout.
3: Yeah, we get some monster brown trout that are caught out of here. Um, And then, obviously, we have the smallmouth bass tournament that just finished up. Um, But, yeah, monster brown trout, we have a big uh, book in our visitor center that shows some that have been caught over the years. And it's quite astonishing to see the quality of fish that we hold in our reservoir.
0: Yeah, it's pretty important. And it's also a great camping destination for for a lot of different reasons. And you have camping year-round, but you're going to be doing something different for winter camping this year, aren't you?
3: Yeah, so you know we do have uh, winter camping. We have our Dakota Terrace Campground uh, Loop A, that'll stay open year round. Uh, that's a pretty popular area um, for when we start getting people in for leaf peeping, which has already happened. We're getting a lot of out of staters uh, for the leaf peeping that are coming in to stay. It's a bit early, um, but come you know October first, we are going to start shutting down a lot of our campsites uh, just because we see you know a decline in the summer users. But this year, we're actually going to open up Elk Ridge Loop E, and we're going to have five sites available for winter camping. Um, we haven't done that in previous years, but uh, once you know the leaves start changing in the next couple weeks, we're starting to see it. We'll see an influx of you know people coming out here, and then um, snowshoers come out here because we have a snowshoe program that we rent out for free, um, and then obviously the ice climbing that happens as well in Ure. We get a lot of people that try to come through here in camp. So we decided we wanted to open up uh, Loop E this year, and we're going to keep uh, around five sites plowed uh, when the uh, snow starts hitting. But then there's going to be some others that are going to stay open as well. So,
0: so yeah. Are the, are the sites that will be open during the winter, will they still be on the reservation system?
3: Yeah, so they'll definitely still be on a reservation system, so keep an eye out on that. Um, but uh, a lot of our tent sites, like in H-loop down in Paco Chupac, for the fishermen that want to fish the Uncompahgre, um, we do have H-loop open. They're walk-in sites, but when it snows, we don't plow those just because uh, the manpower to get up there and do that, so that would be on them. Um but, yeah, everything is going to be on a reservation system that 's going to be new and updated, um, but just be looking out come October first on a lot of our our sites starting to close for the uh, winter time
0: in the next hour we're actually going to talk about gear for winter camping, especially tent camping. you know I, what i 've seen over the last you and I talked earlier in the week, and what i 've seen over the last five to ten years is because of the uh improvements in clothing and sleeping bags and 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 accessories people don't want to stay in the house anymore in the winter they can they can be out in fairly cool weather and still be very very comfortable as an ice fisherman i understand that what's available out there and they want to be out even if it's just a climb out of their tent or their camper with a cup of coffee and look at the snow or maybe go, you know, get you three snowshoes from you to go snowshoeing. But more and more people, I think that's why you're opening these sites, are are wanting to be out there in the winter, aren't they?
3: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, with the technology of sleeping bags and a lot of these tents and just the stuff that these companies are coming out with have been great. Um, And like you said, the snowshoes, we do offer free snowshoeing on the park. Um, you can rent those out for free. We have a ton of them, um, and we're trying to get more people to come out to use them. Um, but, yeah, we do have a little bit of ice fishing. I personally don't know if I would ice fish the reservoir. Uh, it depends on, you know, how cold it gets. But I have done it personally myself and been successful, but it does get pretty thin and Um, But we also have the uh, fishing ponds as well down at Paco which I think I went out there last time and caught over 30 in one day so those definitely stay stocked and you know come out here stay warm I mean it's like you said it's not like how it used to be um, you're going to be warm if you have the proper gear
0: now a lot of people stay at Ridgeway and use it actually it's kind of a home base to explore the area you said you're, you're you know you're right in the middle of the mountains there you're close to Uray. and also the million dollar highway when the leaves start popping well the million dollar highway, is an incredible drive anytime you can do it isn't it
3: yeah no it's absolutely beautiful um... you know i try to take it as much as, as possible when the leaves start changing because i mean what why not i'm right here go get out of the house uh... is a big thing get out of the house and go take a look at the beauty that colorado has to offer i was up on al creek last week and just the tip of some of the leaves were starting to change uh, and you know, with the cold temperatures that we're having, it's, it's going to start happening. So.
0: So Derek, it sounds like the place to be and there's so much to do. It's a bit of a drive, but folks, if you haven't been there, whether you camp or not go experience it, but if you want a winter camp, what an opportunity, Derek, thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, no worries,
0: Terry. You have a wonderful day, sir. You bet. That's Derek from Ridgeway. It's just a beautiful part of the state and there's so much to do there. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to change things up a little bit as duck hunting season is about to open and our resident expert, Brad Peterson, is going to join us and we're going to talk waterfall on Terry Wixham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.
1: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry we takes you Brad. inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I guess we're now, playing the open. This you Terry. play at the top
0: of the hour, but that uh, is Brad there. Hello. Hello, Brad. I don't know what was happening there. That's happened a few times over the last few weeks where the... Somehow the computer decides it's starting the second hour of the show, but we'll be okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Well, we get to hear all about me and how wonderful I am. We like that. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's it's all true. Uh, well, we'll don't suck up Brad. <laughs> um, hey, Brad, the reason I, you know, you obviously you come on a lot of, uh, you come on a lot of times and we talk a lot of fishing, but you're also our our resident waterfall expert. you guide for waterfall, you used to host a lot of calling contests and uh I think youth season has already started, but waterfall season we had the youth season starting we had a little taste of it with teal, but now we're uh the things are we're getting ready to really kick off, aren't they?
4: They are you know um we've got the the mountain uh foothills youth zone uh weekend is this weekend and then the northeast region starts next weekend and the regular duck season for mountains starts next weekend so we're right here at the precipice of just a, you know kind of the the excitement for waterfowl hunters is is just right around the corner everyone's starting to get stuff ready that cold weather that we had last week looks like it brought a few new birds down and got the dogs excited so i think the the duck hunters are, are just chomping at the bit right now. Now, I want to talk to you about where to hunt and some of the
0: opportunities, both resident and migratory birds. But before we do that, um, let's talk a little bit about if, if you're experienced duck hunter, you probably have a lot of stuff, but let's just say I'm really new to it and I want to get into it. How do I get started? What do I have to have? And what should I look forward to adding to my gear as I go?
4: Well, for waterfall hunting, The first thing you have to do is have the proper license. And so you need a small game license and a state and federal duck stamp, and then also get your HIP number. So that'd be the first spot to start. Then with waterfowl, you need to be shooting some form of non-toxic shot. Most people are shooting steel, but there's a couple other, um, you know, variations of it that they qualify as non-toxic. So you cannot be shooting lead. So you're going to have to pick up a little bit of that to you know, go with your gun, any, any shotgun in that 20 to 12 gauge range is going to work good for ducks out there. And then what you're going to need is some sort of camouflage and camouflage doesn't have to be expensive. Um, you know, just, just a jacket an overcoat, uh, a piece of burlap, something like that, that conceals you a little bit. And then some sort of way to retrieve the birds, whether that's a dog or waders that you can get out in the water those are kind of the basics to start duck hunting and then i would say the first major purchase for people to get is going to be some decoys and you really don't have to go overboard with that a dozen or two mallards or kind of puddle duck decoys is enough to really get you started around here now is it
0: easy to learn to do sets of decoys is there a lot of information out there for people
4: there is. Um, you know, the simplest set is kind of the standard two groups. Just break your decoys into two bunches, leave an area right in the middle. And ducks are, they like to land with other birds. So they're going to kind of land where those openings are. So leave a little spot for the birds to land, kind of right where you want to get your best shot. And, uh, you know, that that's what you, that's the basics of what you need to do. But there's there's plenty of places to learn you know, real knowledgeable people at sporting goods stores, uh, YouTube, and places like that will give you the basic information. Or, you know, you can also go out with one of the guides in the area. That also will help you out. You know, whether
0: it's fishing or hunting, I, uh, I can't uh, say enough how important it is if you're new to something, to take a couple trips with a guide. You learn so many nuances that no, you just don't pick up until you're out in the field. And it really accelerates your learning curve and your ability to, uh, to, to do things. Because I can tell you, when I was doing television, and I was a fairly accomplished angler, I had fished tournaments at some of the highest levels in both bass and walleyes. I had worked for In Fisherman Magazine. But filming angling adventures where most of the time we had a guide with us, I would learn so much, just little nuances, things they didn't even know they were telling me that was so important. The same is true of hunting. What about calling, Brad? If if it's you know, if the season starts next week, do I have time to learn a couple calls? Or should I just practice that and wait till I'm ready and maybe hunt without calling right now?
4: You know, to learn the basic quack, if you want to put the time in Uh, a little bit of effort you can get that down easily within a week and a basic quack and a food chuckle are going to be two fairly easy things to learn so if you're wanting to do that you still have time to pick up a call and learn just the very basics and then advance your skills as you're going through the season but if you don't have the time to put in the effort then you know spend a little bit of time you know, maybe doing some research, and that can be a lot of different ways. That can either be out driving to local areas and figuring out where the birds are setting, or you can do so much research online anymore that, um, you know, if you've got an hour in the the evening, you can do a lot of that research, figure out kind of what areas have water, what areas don't have water, and, and pick the best spot to be at, and the calling won't. Your lack of calling won't impact you if you've spent the time, you know, figuring out exactly where the birds want to be. Let's talk a little bit about there are a number of good
0: opportunities. Now, this time of the year, we typically have a lot of resident ducks yet, and there's different ways of hunting those. Could be a blind, could be jump or pass shooting, and then we have some migratory birds. What are some of the opportunities, and how do you approach them?
4: You know, Colorado, we've got a couple of different public opportunities there's there's a few private spots you can get on for some pass shooting um but we're going to talk mainly public opportunities you've got just your your open access properties most of those in the northeast region are going to be along the south platte river now early in the season those areas don't hold as many birds in general but there's old pockets and sloughs that will hold a good number of local birds. That's where spending a little time and doing that research helps. Your other option is then going to look at the ponds, and a decent number of those are in the reservation system. And the nice thing about the reservation system is you're able to call in two weeks before your hunting date, and if you're able to get one of those spots, that is your spot for for the day or for half the day, depending on which area you go to and those are managed for quality hunting opportunities. So if you're new to it and you wanna put a little bit of time on the telephone or or online to make the reservations, that can be a great way to get on a a real quality location. And that's through Parks and Wildlife? That's through Parks and Wildlife right there. And and just a quick update on those reservation properties. Um, Out in the Northeast, I was able to talk with the Northeast uh, Regional Manager he said that the Andrick property does not have any water and has not had any water put on it. They don't expect to have any, um, Jackson, which is a really good property. It's reservation on the weekend, first come first serve on the weekdays. They filled it, uh, in early September and it stopped. So the water is coming down, but they expect there to be good water. And then the brush prairie ponds, most of those are filled right now. And so, that's another one that that's pretty good uh, to have a chance to go take a look at. And um, the only other spot I would say is the union track. The ponds don't have water. They're thinking about getting, or the Elliot, they're thinking about getting water in those ponds through the ditch system should be coming in here fairly soon, but the union track uh, section one and two, both do have water. So there are some reservation opportunities They're a little bit more limited than they have been in the past due to our our dry summer and fall.
0: Now most of those, as you mentioned, there's some resident ducks, but there are a lot of those are going to be migratory birds that will fluctuate during the season. We have a couple areas of the state that have some pretty good resident ducks, so don't we?
4: Yeah, we definitely do. If you're if you're wanting to kinda hunt some of those resident birds early, that north park in the San Luis Valley area has a good resident population, and those seasons start uh, next weekend. So if you're really chomping at the bit, that may be an area to take a look at. North Park in particular, you know, it's got different lakes and ponds that you can hunt, but it also has a lot of the river system there that provides opportunities for jump shooting. So it's got a real good mix up there. It's not too far away and can be a real good way to start off the, the duck season. Brad, we are
0: out of time, but we'll be covering this off and on over the next few weeks as we get into the season. Um, If people want to get a hold of you to book a trip, how do they do that?
4: Uh, The best way is to look me up on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998. We still have some availability coming up here in October for the early season. So if they're interested, give us a call right away. All right, my friend. We'll talk
0: to you again soon. That's Brad Peterson. Always a great resource, both fishing and hunting. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us, and we're going to we're going to talk some hunting opportunities uh, with Nate, and maybe a little fishing too, right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on one zero four three the fan.